Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 64, Running for Honor. like the Keystone Cops. <laughs> York, do you want to tell me what the hell you were thinking out there? Me? Yes, you! Al, mm. I'm in a military school. Mm, yes and no, you're in a naval college and there's a big difference. Boy, this brings me back to my plebe days. There was no freedom, there was no sleep, there were no women. It was hell. Tell me about it. Uh, let's see. Your name is Tommy York, and you're a cadet commander at Prescott College, which is a prep school just outside of Lakeside, Michigan. You have a whole oh, 4.0 grade average. You've also got school records in the 440 and 100-yard dash. That makes you a BMOC, a big man on campus. I know what it means. Why am I here? Mm-mm. Well, Ziggy doesn't have that nailed down yet. You know, somebody might see us together. Did you see the paper? Oh, no. Happened again last night in Dalton. Guy was just walking out of a bar and they jumped him. You know, it's the third time this month. These bastards. Who? Who? Our friends with the big shoulders and the tiny brains, the chain. Tommy, you're not having second thoughts about this, are you? Does Ziggy know anything about this address? What's going on in there? Oh, this is uh, some kind of underground newspaper in here. But does the name Philip Ashcroft mean anything to you? Philip Ashcroft? I met him today at the cafe. He's a friend of Tommy's. A roommate. Philip's a cadet? Well, he was a cadet commander, but he got kicked out of Prescott a couple of months ago. Why? Oh, he was implicated in some kind of scandal. Al, are you telling me that I'm gay? No. I'm saying that Ziggy says there's an... 86.3% 86.3% chance that this Tommy York is gay. So Ziggy can't confirm it? Not totally, no. Okay. I'm going to need a little bit more proof than Ziggy's projection, okay? Okay, well then maybe you better have a look at this. What? I've wrestled with this decision for weeks, and I'm still not sure I'm doing the right thing. But I feel the treatment received by my roommate and friend, Cadet Philip Ashcroft, forces me to expose a small radical group known as The Chain. 
Doing that, I risk my future at Prescott, but I feel this is my duty as a class leader and cadet officer. It's signed Tommy York, and it's addressed to Admiral Spencer. Well? Well what? This doesn't prove anything. Well, sure it does. Imagine this, this kid, Tommy. He's got everything. Why would he risk it all unless he was having a relationship with Philip? Have you ever heard of friendship? What? Well, nothing. I just, uh, I don't ever remember seeing you cross your legs that way before. What are you saying, Al? Uh, oh, nothing. Yes, you are. No. You're saying that the way I cross my legs has something to do with something. Uh, I can't not. believe you would even say something like that. Well... That is so stupid. Let's just drop it, all right? Okay. Look, I am sure that I'm here to help Philip get back into Prescott. I doubt that. Why? Because in two days, he's found hanging in his print shop. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we are going to be discussing, I guess this is one of the most issue-heavy episodes of Quantum Leap ever made, Running for Honor, about gay rights. And um, it's funny, before we got on mic, Allison and I were talking about sort of the controversy that surrounded the episode. She was reading an article about it. Matt, I was pretty sure that you would have some tidbits to share about um, what might have surrounded the airing of this episode, thanks to your research for your book. So I kind of look forward to getting into not just the episode, but sort of the the controversy and the behind-the-scenes stuff that might have surrounded the episode. But before we get into that, why don't we do some uh, initial impressions? Uh, Allison, can you give me your initial impressions of Running for Honor? This is a, it's a good episode. I think it was an episode that was needed at the time. You know, like it's, it was ground that they hadn't really covered. So, uh, yeah, I think I'll leave my initial impressions of that for now. Okay. How about you, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, in some ways long overdue, although in some ways it was also very bold for network television. Um, it's, it's an important episode. Um, it, it was a, tough episode for me to watch as a kid uh, and it's still a tough episode now i look forward to exploring why that is um let me just give my impressions and i'm just going to come straight out i always remember this as the gay episode mm-hmm. and um in my memory it became an example of quantum leap once again playing it as safe as possible when dealing with a controversial topic um but Upon a rewatch, because I hadn't, I don't think I've seen it since it first aired, maybe once or twice in a rerun, uh, I found it to be a much more solid episode than I remembered. And um, it, it said a lot of different things relating to um, gay rights and homophobia. And it was much more comprehensive and wide ranging than I remember. So I was, I was happy to rewatch it. And I found that um, there was more there there than I originally had thought. I was misremembering quite a bit. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, this, this episode centers around the, the, the idea of gay rights, around the topic of gay rights and the issues that surround that. And I think it was to, – to place it in a military academy in the 60s, to me, sticks out as maybe one of the oddest creative choices – and I'm trying to figure out if that's so that they could have the Al interaction in this episode that they did, or maybe it was just something that the writer had been familiar with and he was maybe writing his experiences. But when you think about all the places in history that Sam could have explored the issue of gay rights, this does not stand out as an obvious choice to me. I guess that's what I'm getting at. 
I mean, he could have been at the Stonewall riots. He could have been just like like Black on White on Fire. He could have been in the middle of some kind of turmoil that proved to be a turning point. Instead, he was sort of in the thick of when it was still taboo, closeted, and basically fearing for your life if it ever got out, which is an interesting situation to be in, maybe more interesting in different ways. But uh, what, what do you guys think of that? Well, you see, you mentioned black and white on fire. I, I think, yeah, you, you, you're right. They could have gone down that route. The route they went down, I think, is the more common route for Quantum Leap almost, which is the color of truth type route where, yeah, he's not at a big turning point in history. Where he's at is one of the most dangerous places, at least within the time frame that they're allowed to explore, to be gay or, as we, we, we never find out about that character, but uh, to be... Uh, supportive of of gay friends. So I felt it made absolute sense for him to be exactly where he was. Well, I think what sets this apart from uh, a lot of other issue episodes uh, and what set it apart back then was that even uh, when you're talking about an episode about race, like Black on White on Fire or um, uh, Justice, it's not as controversial to say the KKK is bad, Jim Crow laws are bad, things that are outdated are bad, um, because those had been, you know, they weren't as mainstream by the time this episode was aired. But in the early 90s, people were still very strongly homophobic in popular culture, mm-hmm. um, in the world, um, which is why this episode was so controversial. It's why sponsors pulled out. It's why they they had um, issues airing this versus other episodes where they might have had some pushback. They had it happen with other episodes like The Wrong Stuff. But here it was, um, it was so much bigger because, you know, when this episode aired, to put this in context in history, this was um, 92, 91? When was 90, it? I think 92. 92. So... It was still illegal to be gay in the military. In 1994, two years after this, the United States put into effect the don't ask, don't tell policy, which was they would let gay people be in the military, but just don't talk about it. If we find out about it, then then you're out. But you can't harass people for it. You can't look into it. Don't ask, don't tell. That's what it was called. And this ended in 2011. Yeah. This was only eight years ago that this ended. So I see why this was so such a hot topic back then. And it's funny you bring that up because I was wondering about the don't ask, don't tell. Uh, with Al being in 1999, I had wondered when that policy was instituted. And this is one of the rare instances where the actual history of, you know, that we're living in now kind of outpaces and negates the 1999 and Quantum Leap. Um, I know that we don't have LED earrings and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> Al, as a military man in 1999, would have used the term don't ask, don't tell. And um, the lack of it in the episode is glaring only because the episode aired before. <laughs> because it didn't exist when they made the show. Yeah, yeah it didn't exist. <laughs> but you just you just think of him as, as a military guy. Um, it would have been in his parlance in this episode. And there are a lot of things I have to say about the way that they wrote Al in this episode. But I think one of the oddest things, though, about this episode is that it was almost prescient with the way it ended. You know, there's one thing that I, I, I just doesn't figure for me. What was Tommy gay or not? Does it matter? 
And that is a tacit, well, don't ask, don't tell. It's nobody's business and nobody should care. And um, I have problems with that as well, but it just struck me as odd that the show came down on a side that would eventually become um, the lip service that the armed forces paid towards um, gay people in their ranks. Well, I think that line, it wasn't meant to say, don't ask, don't tell. I think the point of that line was that this didn't pertain to the leap. It didn't change anything about what they did or who Tommy was as a person. So the whole time, you know, Sam's trying to figure this out and Al's trying to figure this out. Like, this this big mystery. And in the end, it's like, well, it didn't really matter, did it? If he was supporting him for whatever reason, like, it was still wrong what was happening. I get that. And I, I, I got that part of it, too. But um, I'll just get into one of the biggest problems I have was that last line. Does it really make a difference? I'm sure to the majority of the LGBT community watching at the time, hoping to see some kind of representation on screen, I think it made a really big difference to them. And the fact that the show hedged its bets at the end and said that it doesn't make a difference was kind of a letdown. And that's what I mean when I say that Quantum Leap has a history of tackling controversial topics, but in a way that does it very safely. I disagree with you there. And I mean, we're, I, I think it's safe to say all three of us are second guessing here, but there was clear representation in the episode from two characters and you got two very different gay stories from those characters. The, the third story is effectively, well, here's someone who is an ally who maybe or maybe not Sam picks up some slightly effeminate qualities from that Al picks up on and it doesn't matter and that's an equally valid story as the other two outwardly gay stories we get so I would hope not not being a member of that community myself but I would hope that they would have seen some representation in that episode and and not been uh, unhappy with that final line um that would be quite sad if if that final line had had that effect because I'm with Alice and I I think it's it, it I take it in in the spirit that I think it was meant um I can see how it could be be turned a different way the interesting part of the controversy of this episode is that one of the groups that was upset was that with this was the gay and lesbian alliance against defamation they were angry at the script so there were gay people that were that were upset with this portrayal uh, even though the uh, this was the article that I was reading, um, it was from October 10, 1991, so it was as it was being made, and they interviewed the scriptwriter Robert Harris Duncan, who uh, is openly gay, and this is the only script that he wrote for Quantum Leap. Um, I think he only ever wrote two things. I think it was three. I saw it on IMDb. He has uh, since passed. Yeah, and he um he worked on Quantum Leap one other time as a choreographer in uh, Miss Deep South. So they interviewed him for this, and he didn't really understand why gay people were upset at this. And uh, prior to this episode, the only gay representation that they had on Quantum Leap was in season two in Goodnight Dearheart. Right. Um, mm. And that was a twist ending that the killer was gay, uh, that it was a, it was a, a gay woman. And people were upset at that, not because it was a, a bad episode, because like my thoughts are that it, it's fine, but because that was the only representation and disproportionately on television and movies at the time, the only representation they would get are villains or killers or, or terrible people. 
Um, and they, the people were so upset about that that um, there was a comic that was a sequel to that episode written by um, a gay comic creator, and it was uh, a redemption arc for that character. And they felt that it was necessary to write this to kind of write this wrong. And this episode, um, I, I do kind of question, like, is this good representation? Like, I, I kind of, I could see what people saw in this representation being that the only confirmed gay person in the episode is willing to out people without their consent, yeah. fake uh, a suicide or to commit suicide to fake a, a murder and uh he, he does some sort of underhanded things in this episode and the only sympathetic one would be sam as tommy but we don't know if tommy's really gay and we're not seeing tommy we're seeing sam well what about coach mortz yeah that's true you're right yeah and i think that it was it was a nice touch to have um coach mortz come out at the end mm-hmm. it was a little bit on the nose but you needed something like that for the episode number 1 i guess to save philip uh but number 2 to make it for those people who might be watching and feeling as tortured as philip to know that you're you're not alone there is support out there there is help that you can find and i think it was a very direct message to those that might be thinking of killing themselves because they just felt so ostracized or just so alienated you're not alone philip i know about the guilt the shame the fear i spent my whole life that way wondering why i had to be different Hoping it'd just pass. Well, it's okay to be different. And the only ones we have to be afraid of are ourselves. You and Tommy made me realize that. You and I, hey, we got nothing to be ashamed of. And it was another layer of uh, many of the messages that we found in this episode. What I loved most about the representation that we saw on screen here was that there was no TV trope gay stuff going on. None of that flamboyant. Um, it, it's like stuff that we even see today. I, I don't know about you guys. I, I've never watched it. I only see commercials and I've seen episodes here and there. But like like characters like Jack on Will and Grace make me see red because yeah. it's it's just Every bad gay stereotype that we've ever seen portrayed on TV since the 70s. And uh, I remember growing up in the 70s and watching stuff that would have gay men on it. And they would invariably be effeminate and um, outrageous. And it just, I have to imagine that as a gay man, you might get tired of seeing something like that, if not just outraged. That that's the way that um, an entire community is represented in the mainstream media. So to have um, the coach who is like the epitome of a man's man, he was like a drill sergeant in the beginning of the episode. It was almost like private pile. It was something out of full metal jacket (laughs) and to turn it around so that he is there for Philip and actually outs himself, which to him is career suicide. I thought that that was a wonderful way to sort of get at it without having to have Sam commit. I just, Allison, what what you said before, um, the fact that, yeah, no, it, it doesn't matter and it shouldn't matter. And I know that's the point they were making, but I think it would have just made much more of a statement to have the hero of the series leap into a gay man for sure. 
and they hedged it. They hedged it to the end. So I'm not saying that the episode didn't say important things and that it, it wasn't a valuable um, medium to, to spark discussion and to maybe help people think in a different way. I just think that they right at the last step, they, they sort of pulled, they pulled back just a little bit too much. That's all. See, to me, it's, it's funny you chose those words. You say that the hero of the episode would have been great if they'd have turned out to be gay. The coach was the hero of the episode to me. And when I say hero, I mean that Sam Sam being the protagonist. That's all I, I meant by that. Yeah, I, I know, but I just think it's important that Sam is there. Yes, he moves the plot along, but actually, this is to me, this is Phillips and, and the coach's story. So again, it doesn't actually matter whether or not Sam happens to have leapt into somebody who happens to be gay. Especially since what happens to that character before and after this episode has really very little to do with the plotline. If Sam himself had turned out to be gay, that would be a much bigger deal. But I think it was would have been needless. It, it really doesn't matter. You know, uh, after everything uh, that I said there, um, I wasn't really thinking about Coach Martz, and I should have been, because he was a very sympathetic, positive portrayal of a gay person and um you could see that through the whole episode even though he was uh he was very tough uh drill sergeant he also was looking out for these kids like um even in the the first scene when uh they're at the track meet and he's chewing everyone out and then he calls sam over privately to check if he's okay and whether or not he knows if he's gay or not um he's still looking out for him and and still cares very deeply. Tom, are you okay? Yeah, I just, I, I just kind of bumped my knee a little bit. It's not what I meant. You've been distracted a lot lately. Is this something you want to talk about? And I think that um, that is, upon a rewatch, much more evident in the fact that um, I, I've sort of forgot the role that he played in this, but knowing how it ended and then seeing it with, with fresh eyes after a couple of decades, it was really neat to put those pieces together and say, yeah, it has been since the beginning. And in my headcanon, he knows that Tommy is either gay or, or struggling with, with his sexual identity. And he just wants to lend a sympathetic ear. He wants to be there for him so that he doesn't have to go through it alone. And then the revelation that he's gay makes it make more sense. It makes it more poignant. I think it was good that they had a character like that in this. Yeah. Well, Matt, do you mind if we get into something you said at the top of the show? You had mentioned that the episode was very painful for you to watch the first time and painful still. Do you care to elaborate on that? Yeah, I, I think I'm, I hope I didn't use the word painful because I think maybe more difficult. Um, and I think this is probably something that a lot of us can relate to that are, are into genre TV. Gay or not, there was a, a lot of stuff here about bullying and being different and being ostracized for being different. And certainly at, what, 12, 13 years old when I, I saw this, um, I felt a lot of sympathy for the the characters in this that were gay. I probably had friends at the time who I'm no longer in touch with who probably turned out to be gay. Um I have a lot of gay friends today and I think I connect a lot more to the characters in, in this episode than into a lot of others. That's all. It's just, yeah, it's difficult. All right. And I mean, that's something that when you watch your favorite show, if it can speak to you on a personal level, like for me, that's always 
more of a positive aspect. Like when I think mm. of nuclear family, yeah. I think of it like, oh, it, it teach, it's all the geeky stuff that I love about that time yeah. period. But it's interesting to me, though, that an episode will will touch something in you that's negative and, and make you sort of relive it. Yeah. And um, one of the issues, I mean, in this is obviously bullying. And I guess we, we give it short shrift because it's overshadowed by the homophobia yeah. and the gay bashing, which is just another form of bullying. Yeah, yeah, it's just the the vehicle for it. So I, I'm sure members of that community watching this episode have a very different reaction to me, but it's it's on that same uh, it's on that same wavelength. Well, what what I loved about that storyline and um, the resolution of that storyline, I mean, number one, this pulled no punches when it came to how hateful and murderous some of these people could be. This is the second time in season four we've seen Sam in a noose. And the first time it was with a bunch of bigoted clansmen in the woods. And I think the show is making a very definite statement there saying that hate is hate. And no matter mm-hmm. how you hate or what form it takes, you're mm. just as reprehensible. It's all part and parcel of the same sickness. And the fact that they didn't just, well, it, yeah. oh God, I'm going to have to, let me, let me put it this way. I liked the fact that Sam was able to confront the gang in the locker room and um, the fact that uh, he got Ronnie into a headlock and forced him to look in the mirror and say, what are you so afraid of? Mm. You're taking this awfully personally. And it's just like a a lot of people, you know, who are so vehemently anti-gay turn out to be just closeted gay people themselves that can't handle the fact of who they are. Um, It it happens time and again with, with popular pundits who always preach against homosexuality turn out to be closet homosexuals. Um, what I didn't like about that scene was just, you know, it, it was sort of like the standard, yeah, it's over, it, it, it's over, Ronnie. Just, just give it up, and the whole gang just kind of <laughs> walks gave away. Up so easy. <laughs> They're like, well, we had two seconds of thought on this, and we decided <laughs> to give up on our on our gang where we beat up gay people. No one had put it like that before. Yeah, yeah. like that whole scene. That whole scene, I think, was one of the weakest yeah, because, right. like, so so Martz gets Sam out of his. Uh, his lockdown and he just he's like hey can we be alone yeah sure so he just he just leaves him in there with these people that <laughs> sam has told him is going to murder someone yeah yeah and then he's like hey sit down and then the gang sit down why is everyone listening to sam like he's in charge i just didn't really understand why anyone did what they did in that scene because they've got a sense he could give them a flying noodle kick <laughs> <laughs> he already did didn't he at this point he yeah. uh he beat them up in in philip's shop yes yeah of course in philip's literal <laughs> underground printing press they're like oh we don't want to mess with that guy he could beat us up well this just seems stupid let's go home guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's go get an ice cream soda golly Let's go get some mineral water. Oh, wait. What kind of mineral water do you have? And reassess our lives. <laughs> I mean, you're right, Allison. These guys were, they went from like stone-blooded murdering assholes to, ah, you know, I've seen the light. Okay. <laughs> they, just, they just gave up so easy. <laughs> it, that was a little bit of a cop out there. I can, I can understand why they did it, because what's the alternative is to have them beat the snot out of Sam, which might have been for more compelling drama. But again, then the episode doesn't end in seven minutes the way it needs to. <laughs> they did beat him up after the the hanging, right? No, when did they, they beat him up at some point where they like, 
they beat him up twice. So they beat him up uh, when he went to Philip's print shop and they found he found them beating Philip. He kicked a few of them in the face with the flying noodle kick, but then uh, he got distracted and I guess it was Ronnie that, that knocked him out. Yeah. And then when they tried to level the formal charges against him, he was going back to his room and they abducted him as he was going in and brought him right. out and, you know, beat the crap out of him and put his head, head in the noose. And then- this scene where all of a sudden, after they beat him up twice, <laughs> they're like, fine. <laughs> I feel kind of bad, I guess. You know, maybe I'm not a murderer. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and that's one to grow on. Um, I'd read somewhere, and maybe it was in your book, Matt, that um, during the hanging scene, the stunt went wrong. Oh, I don't think I knew that. I don't know if I can confirm this. Um, what I'd heard is that Scott Bakula was in the noose and someone didn't do it properly. Like it's supposed to be like he falls and then it's, it's, it has slack in it. So he's fine, but something went wrong. And so he like fell and got like a bunch of rope burn around his neck. Huh. He could have been killed during that stunt. And like, um, I'd heard that he, like he asked them to destroy the footage or something. I don't know. It was some weird thing. Huh. Yeah. Do you recall um, how long ago you read that? Man. Uh, I, I guess I guess what I'm asking is this wasn't just something you stumbled across while doing episode prep. This is a story that you remember from times past. This is something I just remembered uh, hearing. Let me right. see. Okay. Yeah, so I, I I was going to jump in and while you were telling that story, but I didn't because I started doubting myself. But I heard that exact same story about Back to the Future 3. And I've just read again and yeah, apparently that did happen. In Back to the Future 3? Yeah, where, uh, where Marty's being hanged, uh, they screwed it up and he ended up uh, losing consciousness. Uh, I mean, it could be that people conflated this. Um, this is also on... Okay, so I found a post about it on the Quantum Loop Analyses, though I know I read it somewhere else before. Uh, it says, according to a rumor, which was later sort of confirmed by the stunt coordinator, Scott got a rope burn on his neck after the rope in the scene failed to release. Mm. Hmm. So I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but this is something I heard. I think what we need to do is, for the sake of this podcast, because we seem to have lingering questions in every episode about stunts or fashion. So we have to get Diamond and Jean-Pierre on speed dial so that we can, we can just rope them in whenever we need to get these quick answers. I mean, yeah, I could text Jean-Pierre, but he wouldn't know about this. I could just text him. I'd be like, hey, I'd call him up and be like, Jean-Pierre, I need to know about this. I guess if it was like you said in the interview that uh, Diamond Farnsworth did for the podcast, Matt would have had it written down in his book about it. Yeah, that would have made it into the, the book for sure. Gosh, that would have been so... If it was true, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary as hell. I don't know why they would have... I guess if they were doing the close-up and they were, you know, he's falling out. Because otherwise, I'm like, why would they have Scott Bakula in the neck doing the stunt? But... Yeah. Well, he did fall down from where he was, so, and I think it was a close-up as he was going out of frame. Yeah. So, he was falling in a close-up as well as, I guess, maybe the establishing shot. Yeah, it might have been during, like, the wide shot. They were... Ooh, nasty. They probably did the, the close-up and the wide shot, and it was probably the wide shot where that happened. Because the close-up, they'd probably just have someone holding the rope off screen. There'd be no reason you'd need to have that tied to anything. You'd hope so, right? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting bit of trivia. Hmm. 
Okay. Um, I, I think we're dancing around uh, one of the big things about this episode. I, I would like to talk about Al's portrayal in this. Uh, yeah, we were going to get to that sooner or later. Oh, yeah. I think we have a whole hour right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is the most unlikable he ever is in the show. Ever. Like, Al is absolutely reprehensible in this episode. I get that they, they want that opposing viewpoint, and it totally makes sense mm-hmm. for his character. Like, his age and being in the military, like... I totally get it, but it is absolutely the most unlikable they ever make him. Well, this was the fallacy, I think, that, uh, and I'm just going to say it the way that a Wiccan once said it to me. (laughs) There's a point to this, just trust me with this. (laughs) I once did a radio story in my early days in journalism school about witchcraft uh, as a Halloween piece and, you know, an interest piece. So I was in Columbia, Missouri at the time. And um, I was uh, talking to the Wiccan community and, you know, they invited me to some of their rituals and, you know, it was really a great story and they were great people. And um, they said, you're not going to get like a so-called like opposing view on this, are you? And I said, well, you know, my my producer asked me, are you going to speak to any Christians or whatever this? And But I haven't yet. And the guy said, well, think of it this way. If you were doing a story about Judaism, would you go out and find neo-Nazis to get an opposing view? <laughs> and I said, you know what? You are absolutely right. So that was never a part of the story because it had no place in the story. And I feel like that's sort of like the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction we have. It's the instinct that we have to kowtow to the bigots that ostracize this kind of behavior or, or just say that such and such X and Y and Z is wrong. And I'm in the mainstream, therefore you need to ask me about it to reiterate why it's wrong. And it's a false sort of urge that we follow because we're just so conditioned to making this into a controversy. And I think that having Al represent the bigots in the audience just plays into that. And it annoyed me to no end. And like like you said, Allison, it makes perfect sense. He's an ex-military man. Mm-hmm. He grew up in an era where it was taboo to be gay. And uh, he was in the thick of it. He was in the heart of one of the institutions that ostracized it the most. And um, I get it, but I, ju- I just don't think it gelled well for his character, and I don't think it came across very well in the show. It wasn't compelling. It was just annoying. Okay, but would the story have got the message across as well without that? Well, does the story need to turn Al into a straw man so that Sam can just knock him down? Well- Okay, not Al specifically, but I I know it, it's it is a lazy trope to say, oh yeah, well okay, if if we're if we're telling a story about this, we have to have an opposing viewpoint so the main character can wag their finger at them and say no, they're wrong. But there's a reason why that's a cliche, and it's because you're telling a story in forty five minutes. Sometimes you need to have a bit of finger wagging in there to really drive the point home. Um, but uh, I mean. I, I'm just the, not the sure things- the story would have. I'm not sure the message would have been as strong or as clear without that. As unfortunate as it might be, I mm, I, I think it would have been better. I, I subtitled this section as Al's bogus journey of enlightenment. <laughs> I think they just had Al be a bigoted asshole just for the sake of giving vent to all the bigoted assholes that might be watching, and then turning them around and saying, "This is why you're wrong." And Al saying, I-, I was wrong. I was wrong. And why? What What turned change your mind? I don't know. You, uh, Philip, I don't know. I-, I just changed my mind now. Wait a second. Don't you the guy who said the military is no place? What's going on? I was, I was wrong. I was wrong. All right. 
I was, you were right. I was wrong. What made you change your mind? Uh, you, the coach, Philip, mostly Philip. So I realized that uh, I was wrong. I'm not always right. I really liked how Dean Stockwell played that scene and how they did that, because you would expect there to be some big, like, you know what, I was wrong and here's why kind of thing. And Al just sort of shrinks in that moment, just very small, just, you know, like, you know, you were you were right, I was wrong. Yeah, Alison, you've just said exactly what, what my notes say as well. It, that, it's one of my favorite moments in the whole series. I don't know how well it would have come off in the script i don't know if the writer knew how it was going to look i can imagine on the page it probably looked quite bland but the way dean plays it um yeah it's the the fact that it's so so yeah and there is no 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 big reason just i I don't know i've just yeah it just just is you were right and i was wrong um yeah it it moves me genuinely moves me to tears every time i hear that line really and I found it such a cop-out. I think it might have been more... And that, I'm sorry, Matt, that's not to negate the genuine emotion that you're having. But no, no, no. no. It's, no. I think it would have been stronger for Al to tell Sam, well, you know why I changed my mind? Because, I mean, these are murderers. These are people that are driving people to suicide. These are not people that I want to be associated with. And the fact that I'm holding beliefs that they espouse makes me sick. It makes me sick with myself. Not just, I don't know. I don't know. Philip changed my mind. You changed my mind. How about I I see the horror of what's what's here? I think you see a lot of that in his performance, though. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily, like, it's not necessarily spelled out at the end. Um which is strange because Quantum Leap does uh, do a lot of like, we are going to state exactly why this is wrong yes. or exactly why this shifts. You know, they do a lot of that. And I think that's why it stands out. I don't think it was written that way without having read the script. I'm going to guess that it was more like what you were saying. Um, and Dean Stockwell or someone made this conscious decision to perform it like he did. And I think it feels less like clean shift into like he has changed his mind completely i think he is questioning himself and he has a lot of contemplating to do about this yeah he he's not actually sure yet why he's changed his mind he needs to reflect um this also i think um his conversations with sam where he's like questioning everything that he's doing and he's like you know are you drinking tea not coffee or are you crossing your legs like that don't put your hands on your hips and oh god yeah, right. Uh, just at the moment, by the way, I'm sitting here with crossed legs, and I just picked up my cup of tea, just as you said that. Oh, like, yeah, totally gay. <laughs> that wasn't even conscious. <laughs> Whoa, looks like this episode's rubbing off on you, Matt. But I, no, but I did want to ask, like, speaking as a Brit, is, is tea gay to you guys? Well, they serve a lot of tea. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I t- that that bit baffled me as a kid and still baffles me today. I I know you I know Americans tend to be more coffee drinkers, but, but yeah, that I, is... I love tea though. I hate coffee. I love tea, so I guess that makes me gay. I like both, so I guess I'm bi. But uh, I just but but, <laughs> yeah. but in American culture, it's is this just I a mean... random owl thing, or genuinely are tea drinkers considered to be probably a bit 
can I can I can I step in as Please. Um, the straight American male of the group? Yeah, American uh, being the distinctive uh, thing there. <laughs> yeah, um, it's always been rough and tough. Like you, coffee, black coffee—that's sort of the manly drink uh, that you could stand the spoon up in. And tea is for ladies and sick people. And um, <laughs> I don't know that it's especially effeminate, but it is associated with the feminine so drinking tea i don't know is considered effeminate but i can see where al would get that inference um because it is the the more feminine of of the hot beverages if you will Mm. um now if you put a couple of scones in i think that (laughs) i I think that you made a you you just came up with a new game show segment gay or british (laughs) gay or british Um, I, I just want to ask, um, during the edit, uh, Chris, can you insert real quick right here, Sam's entire gay boat festival line? Yes. <laughs> what is with you? Everything I do all of a sudden is wrong. The way I stand, the way I sit, what I drink. Does drinking tea make me any less of a man than somebody who drinks coffee? I mean, is every tea drinker in the entire history of the world gay to you? Is that it? What about the Boston Tea Party? Was that like some kind of a gay boat festival? All I'm trying to do. That was hilarious. That That is one of the best quantum leap quotes of all time. (laughs) Some kind of a gay boat festival to you? (laughs) Yeah. um, The real problem with that is not whether or not is tea effeminate or the way that Sam's crossing. It's just the stupid things that Al picks up on um, because he suspects that Tommy might be gay. And therefore, he's he's transferring that to Sam's mannerisms and actions. I mean, because he knows that Sam isn't gay. And that's another reason why that whole part of the episode didn't really gel for me. He, think, he thinks he's like rubbing off on him. Right, he, but he knows Sam's wife. He knows Sam's not gay. He knows that his friend is his friend in that moment. It's not Tommy. So the fact that he would be questioning Sam's movements as if he's a friend he is gay just strikes me as dumb we know that sam magnafoozles with people mm. occasionally like so i think he's thinking in those terms that that he's caught the gay but yeah. What, yeah but what, okay, what's he afraid of <laughs> that he's gonna drink what's too much tea afraid? yeah he's i don't yeah. like cramp I, I yeah he's being a bigot yeah but it's just dumb it does sort of paint his character when you see him in other episodes though doesn't it like they do occasionally have like one or two like gay jokes thrown in there and other stuff there's a a line uh in a season five episode where al outright says like basically you gross gay (laughs) so Mm -hmm. uh it does sort of paint his character though when you look at it from that light and watching other episodes I guess, and I was trying to figure out if we had seen Sam drinking tea in previous episodes, and if Al ever commented on it. It wasn't like orange spice tea is like his favorite. I know in in the next episode, yeah, in the next episode, tea is a prominent part of it. Yeah, it's orange, orange spice, and it's it has it has been mentioned before. I. I want to say catch a falling star, but I might just be imagining that. This was a consistent character trait that Sam likes orange spice tea. I remember them bringing this up more than once. It was his favorite, <laughs> and I'm glad they remembered that. Yeah, it was catch a falling star and temptation eyes, both written by Paul Brown. Paul Brown clearly loves the orange spice tea. Paul Brown's like, I need to keep this through line. <laughs> yeah. Orange spice tea. Uh, the tea is an important plot point in the yes. next episode too. So <laughs> yeah. He's definitely drank tea before, and certainly in the South episodes, he's drank iced tea. Of course. So that's the point that I was trying to make, is that Al pointing it out now is just dumb. 
Yeah, but he's looking out for it. He knows that he may have leapt into a gay man and he's he's finding excuses to worry. And the ridiculousness of the excuses is kind of part of it. If they were sensible reasons, it wouldn't it wouldn't be making the same point. One thing that makes it more ridiculous, the stuff that Al's doing in this episode, is that he <laughs> he dresses super gay. <laughs> he tra- he like he's wearing super <laughs> like okay. I, I I maybe this comes off like you know like um, oh only gay people dress really outrageous or anything. That's not true. But um you know he's tra- he's wearing like if he's looking out for every little thing that might come off gay. Like, if you like show tunes, it's gay. If you drink tea, it's gay. If you put your hands on your hips, it's gay. These are all things that, like, Al's done throughout <laughs> the season. He sang show tunes. He's, he was talking about doing summer stock. He puts his hands on his hips. He wears, like, these outrageous, colorful outfits. And so it just... It just seems like he's he's looking through a mirror at himself when he's talking about some of this stuff. Yeah. And again, it's another reason why I think that this, even though I can understand how Al would be that way, he has never been that way throughout this series. Al acts pretty gay. In Catch a Falling Star, he tells Sam that's their song. How else do you interpret that? (laughs) Alison, are we going to discover you've been writing slash fiction on the side? So much slash fic. Oh my gosh. There is a case to be made. There is a case to be made here, but that's for another time. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I did like Al's outfits in this one. He the one he wears at the very end before the in the the, the last track uh, thing at uh, the race. He's got like this teal jacket and his um his shirt that he wears in the Boogeyman with the high buttons and the collar and no tie. Mm. Oh, it looks really good. I, I also like the the uh, the yellow one with the checkers. He wore that in uh, Future Boy. What about the snazzy purple ensemble? That was good too. Yeah. There's a part that that always kind of makes me laugh um, when it's not supposed to be funny, though. <laughs> like, Al, when he finds Philip uh, about to kill himself. Oh, there you are. How you doing, kid? You fixing the light? Uh, oh, my God. You're going to hang yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, but why Why was him fixing a, life, a light funny to him? I just don't understand why he was laughing. <laughs> He has his little jokes. Fixing a light. <laughs> Fun instead of fear. <laughs> and then doesn't he say, like, uh, hang in there, kid, or something? Oh, did he? Oh, my God, I didn't catch yeah, that. I'm sure when when he goes to get Sam, he's like, hang in there, kid. Like, did he say hang in there? God. Hang in there, kid. I want to say this about Dean's performance. Um he can be somewhat loosey-goosey at times, and you can just tell that I think a lot of the takes that they use is just Dean messing around. And in this case, maybe they took some of them where he was messing around, but it wasn't really the most appropriate choice yeah. <laughs> to include in the episode. And if he's laughing that someone is like changing a light, it's obviously like, yeah, why is that? Why, why does that evoke a chuckle? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I think they were just trying to like insert some kind of funny and a little bit of humor with his character because it's not as funny with his character in this one. No. There's nothing really funny in this one. It's, it's, this is not a comic episode. The the Big Gay Boat Festival is very funny. Well, uh, Alright, okay. 
but it but it is during a very serious conversation though like <laughs> yeah and there was one thing that sam said in this that i've never heard sam say before and i don't think he ever says after and it actually even i remember it striking me upon the original airing back in 92 when he's like just change the record change the record all right just change the record that's sort of like an odd expression and i remember hearing it a lot when i was growing up but I don't know that that's something Sam would say. That's just a, like a super nitpick, I guess. But mm. there were just things about Sam's and Al's character in this that stood out to me as not them. Here was a uh, very Sam moment when uh, he's talking to Ronnie about uh, the algebra tests. They're in the car and then uh, Ronnie's like, oh, thanks for helping me cram for that algebra test. Otherwise, I would have used uh, crib notes. <laughs> and Sam, just very offended. Well, you mean you, you would have cheated? You mean you would have cheated? <laughs> <laughs> he's so offended. Like, this guy later is like, he's, he's a big gay basher. But before he even knows that, he's like, oh, you would have cheated? <laughs> <laughs> that is actually quintessential, Sam, because is there a test that Sam has never aced? Yeah, well, he d in, in Animal Frat, he does the same thing, like, cheating? What? But how else are you going to learn the material? <laughs> it's just He just genuinely does not understand why anyone would cheat. It's very Pollyanna. <laughs> it's, it's endearing. And then he, he, he goes in the diner and he orders a mineral water, which I find very funny, too. <laughs> and um, I didn't understand, like, he meets up with Philip there, and then Philip orders a Coke and leaves two seconds later. <laughs> like, leaves him to foot the bill. They're afraid they're going to be seen. Well, no, but he he's like, yeah, I'll have a Coke. And then he's like, anyway, I got to get out of here. <laughs> I think it was just so they could give the actress who played the waitress a line. Last of the big time spenders. Last of the big spenders. <laughs> Why are waitresses always so bitchy in this show? <laughs> they're always so mean. <laughs> are they always? I don't know. It, maybe it's just because it's a stereotype. But like, yeah, think of any time there's a waitress in this show. They're always like, they're always snooty about something. <laughs> We're going to have to watch out for that. That's a new segment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> bitch or waitress. That'll be an another segment. <laughs> yeah. So, so far we have gay or British or bitch or waitress. <laughs> And don't forget Sam Poops. Sam Poops. And that too. Tracking all of Sam's poos. It, l let's talk about this. At what point in this episode <laughs> do you think he, he has to go to the bathroom? I think like if, if I was falling down with a noose around my neck, I might shit myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That wasn't muddy, Felon. <laughs> they, they did something interesting with the effects in this episode. Um, I don't think we've ever seen an angle of the, the imaging chamber door from behind Al before. Yeah. Yes, I I picked up on that as well. It's um yeah, it's unique. Yeah, for Al to back into it. Yeah, it's nifty. Yeah, I noticed that as well. It looked a little bit unnatural, I guess, because in my in my mind, why would you see the imaging chamber door from the back? You can't. It's like an impossibility. <laughs> there is no back to it. It's only a one way thing. That's true. As far as the hologram is concerned. And I'm thinking maybe that's why they didn't use it before or why they never used it again. It just struck me as incongruous and I didn't know why until this very second. I mean, there's no back there. It's just a white rectangle that's being projected to help Sam visualize Al disappearing, right? No, no. It's not actually what the corridor looks yes, like. Yes, it is. Well, this is this is the way I read it. If you see Sam leaving the imaging chamber in the leap back, um, he is in the doorway before it closes at the threshold of the ramp, and there are glowing lights all in the door jam surrounding him. And I think that 
that's what Sam sees from his point of view is sort of that bright light that surrounds Al and then the door closes as he backs away. And uh, then Al obviously goes down the ramp into the control room. To me, in my in my headcanon, that's the physical space that Al occupies. And he is actually leaving the imaging chamber at that point. It's not just a computer representation of him leaving to give Sam closure. It's, it's his actual entry and egress. So the fact that they would show it from behind just doesn't make any sense at all. Well, the fact that they're able to show it from behind suggests that your headcanon is wrong. Shut up, you! <laughs> Surely you can't use head cannon as a way of saying that what you see on screen is wrong. Well, the, the, no, but I can use what I've seen on screen to say what I see on screen is wrong. Because yeah, no, I mean I'm I'm with Chris on this one. I think it is supposed to be him leaving the imaging chamber, especially because in the pilot he is physically opening a door. But it, uh... it's not. It's not that. No, I agree he's leaving the imaging chamber, but Sam is, is, Sam's brain is tuned to see Al. He's not, it's not tuned to see the the corridor of behind him. Mm, Because he doesn't see people in there with him. So he wouldn't see anything else that that was there unless he was touching it. Yeah, yeah. But, but he's. That's true. Yeah. So he's not, he's not tuned in to see the corridor behind the, the imaging chamber door. So yeah, you, you either have just Al disappearing kind of like he does in in the pilot episode where he just vanishes or yeah there's just a nice pretty effect to help sam see what's happening huh wow i never thought about it that deeply before i thought i was right but i think you're right now (laughs) (laughs) i i think about a lot of stuff i don't i don't sleep well One thing I noticed about this episode, uh, I, I wanted to bring up because I was thinking of effects, but like, there's a lot of dissolves in the, like scene dissolves in this episode, and I feel like they did them more going into the fourth and fifth seasons. And um, I just, I, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast before, but uh, this is a a firm stance that I hold: uh, nothing kills comedy faster than a scene dissolve. <laughs> uh, I hate scene dissolves so much. Because a scene that otherwise is fine, then it dissolves out and it's awkward and weird. Okay, so this is not just a fade to black, but more of a crossfade between yeah, scenes. Yeah, crossfade. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, like, um, if, if this had been, like, just a, a hard cut, it would have been fine, but it wasn't. Like, um, uh, after the, the locker or the shower scene, and then Sam is, like... Um, uh, I think Ronnie asks him if he's, like, preparing a speech or something, and he's like, oh, it's never too early to start and then just awkward face as it dissolves into the next scene for no reason i think that also you grew up in an era of smash cuts so you might you might have a- no no i i watch a shit ton of old stuff <laughs> and it's always the worst like there's plenty of quantum leap episodes that don't have those dissolves and then the the joke works fine but whenever you have a dissolve after a comedy bit... See, I'm not against dissolves. Let's go deep into this dissolving. As <laughs> yeah. a concept, I'm not against this crossfade. Because that can be used to, like, good effect, like, when you're doing, like, a um, contemplative moment to, like, fade into something or an artistic decision or something like that. But if you do a comedy bit, comedy is all about timing. We learned this from Al. Timing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, it just ruins the timing completely. Like, think about in... um. Heart of a Champion, 
when they have that scene with the the bumpkins in the in the bar and then the guy is like um he realizes like sam could beat him up and then he makes it like five different faces as they like dissolve away (laughs) (laughs) it's like why is this happening (laughs) maybe they were soap opera directors directing these episodes and they're used to just lingering on reaction shots so they can dissolve into a commercial and out of from a commercial i don't know well it wasn't even going into commercial if it was like fade to black into commercial i get it it does i don't that doesn't bother me it's just the cross (laughs) fade between scenes that like it doesn't need to be this way I feel like it, every time I see it, like, it makes something seem cheaper to me. Like, there's less thought put into it. I don't know. Just I was worried people were going to finish this podcast and think, wow, that, that Matt guy has really put a lot of thought into the, the imaging <laughs> chamber door. What a nerd. So, so thank, thank you, Alison. <laughs> I, I can bring out the most inane and petty things to complain about. <laughs> Alison will die on that hill. And another thing about the crossfade. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your opinion on that, That like, the ending of that scene to the next one? Did it seem weird to you? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, just, just me. Just yeah. me. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, when you describe it, yeah, I don't, I don't remember it being like that. But when you describe it, that your logic is flawless. It's just not one of these yeah. things that I notice. But now I'm going to notice it. Now I'm always going to notice it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's you're going to ruin so much TV for me, Allison. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just notice it in a lot of like bad comedies when like they they just hold on something forever and there's no reason to do that. Yeah. Especially when, like, there's supposed to be, like, there would naturally be a reaction after that for whatever is happening. Yeah, that, that I've noticed, where the actors have to just kind of stand there holding their expressions because they know there's going to be a crossfade. It's like, eh, d- do something. They're, yeah, they're waiting for the director yeah. to yell cut, and then you're like, oh, yes. I guess we're still holding on this, huh? <laughs> yeah. But you got to think that Scott's especially adept at that because he has to do it every time he leaps in and leaps out. Yeah. So because they need time to to generate that effect. So Mm -hmm. he's probably standing there like a schmuck for three minutes. Yeah, but what if they didn't have the effect and it's just him standing around forever? That's awkward, right? (laughs) (laughs) The opening of this one is is super weak, too. It's just Sam falling over to track me. (laughs) I was going to ask you guys about that. Could this be the weakest leap in ever? I think it's among them. The professor one's still the weakest, I think. With the pipe falling out of his mouth. But it's also, at that point, <laughs> leaping yeah. was a novelty. That was also the yeah. first leap we ever saw. So the pipe falling out of his mouth is like the jaw hanging <laughs> of the uh, of, of the viewer going, huh? Yeah. <laughs> There's right. a series coming now? <laughs> uh, I can forgive the pipe one. Yeah. But, you know, this is like... Uh, yeah. It doesn't tell you anything about what's... Co- I don't know how you, like, do an opening to establish that this is going to be a gay episode, though, and have it... I don't know. I guess if, like, if he leaped in in the middle of, like, making out with a guy, I don't know what would be, like, the most... Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't have been that brave. No, no. I think this episode, if if it was playing it safe in any areas, and I think it was not playing it safe for the time, but if anything seems safe now, it's because this was 1992. Hmm. I guess. But you're pointing out a big problem that I had with the episode, uh, and I, I understand it's right there in the title, Running for Honor. But, I mean... The B story, I guess, or the main story, I can't really tell which one it was, was this this whole nonsense with the track meet. 
<laughs> yeah. And that, that ceased to be relevant <laughs> after about three minutes. Yet, it's the reason why... Oh, you gotta win the track meets. Yeah, apparently Tommy's <laughs> not getting kicked out of school for breaking the code of conduct and being gay because they need to beat Bentleyville in the big game. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 it just struck me as like... So that, you know, Philip doesn't marry no-nos. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, what? why do we care about this now? And also... Sam can't run as fast as Tommy. Is this a holdover from the the first draft where it was they were all considerably younger? I think that this was supposed to be set at a high school originally. Oh, so that would make perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't know if it does, but but that was that's all I know about the early drafts that it start when it started off. They were all um, yeah. It was it was a teenage suicide story set in a prep school, much younger kid who was going to kill himself. I almost wish they had done that because there are some aspects of this story I feel is is too similar to other stories they do, particularly uh, Leap for Lisa, which comes later and mm. is a, a much stronger episode, I find. Mm. And once again, I'm wondering if they're deliberately choosing some of these settings and themes so that we can highlight Al's character, like building up towards a Leap for Lisa. Because uh, if you recall in the last episode, I thought that maybe some of the things that we saw in, was it? The plays the thing, and some of the things Al said kind of primed us for the way he acted in this episode. And now saying, oh, you know, these remind me of my plebe days and there was nothing worse. It sort of gives an insight into who he was at a certain time in his life, which we're going to revisit very soon. It's almost like, at the, I guess it was the episode before MIA when he told Sam, life gives you one shot at true love. And if you miss it, it's done. And then, of course, in the next episode, you know, you know why he has that philosophy. So I'm just wondering if they're trying to just subtly weave in different Al elements so that it builds towards the finale and the finale makes a little bit more sense. Maybe. They might have also, like, if they wanted to do this opposing viewpoint by placing it in the military, it gives it more context than, say, like, if they had done this episode at a prep school and Al still had the same sort of opinions, it would come off even crueler, I think. Mm. Yeah. Because there's less logic to it. In his mind, it's not about, like, oh, you gay people. It's about, like, you know, well, at least this is what he's thinking. Like, oh, well, this is a liability in the military. You want to depend on the people around you. Like, if you're on the battlefield, you don't want to be thinking about what if they're, what if they're gay, you know? What, do you, what if they're, you know, into me? Or they, It's mm. the same, like, kind of mentality when they're like, we don't want women on the battlefield because they're periods or whatever. You know, it's flawed logic. But somehow there is some logic in his mind to it. I think there's a lot of strength in having it in a military setting. I guess what struck me was the specific naval setting. And, and that's that's where I get more of the Al vibe there. Um, I, I don't think the episode would have been as strong outside of a military setting because it spoke to a hot button issue at the time, which I guess still maybe is something of a hot button issue about gays in the military. Well, right now it's about trans people in the military. That's what, what mm. they're focusing on now. So it's still very relevant. Same bigotry, different decade. It's It would still fall under the LGBT banner, but yeah, very specifically to, to trans people. I just I just remember at the time, um, the idea of gays in the military was a very controversial issue. And mm. um, the sure. fact that they put it there also tapped into the zeitgeist of the time. So, And I guess maybe that's what made it, according to IMDb, the highest rated episode of the fourth season. I don't know if that's true, but... Uh, I mean, I could see why people were, would tune in. I mean, they lost sponsors over this. They fought 
to do this episode. Uh, there was some interview I was watching with Donald Belisario where he was talking about this and like he he stood his ground on this. Like they were like, oh, we're going to pull sponsors. We're going to do all that. And he's like, nah, we're doing it. Like we've done topics like this before. We're not going to shy away now. Mm. And good for him. You know, some advertisers must have got a really good deal then because, yeah, they they slashed the prices of, of the ad spaces and then they lost something like five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. OK. The network lost five hundred thousand dollars. This is according to the L.A. Times in 1992 um, because they did this episode um, and they had one ad slot that didn't get filled. So imagine that like you have a a, a hit show on NBC airing and they they can't fill all of the ad slots yeah well i can imagine um again you guys might be a little bit too young for this but i recall in the 80s where basically fundamentalist christians took over um the conversation on this kind of stuff because they had the backing from the reagan white house and it it turned into a much bigger issue you had the ptl network and it, there were a lot of hateful voices in the mainstream at this point saying, um, hate the sin, but love the sinner kind of bullshit. Mm. And, mm-hmm. um, that homosexuality is manifestly wrong and, um, it goes against God. And if you were to only go with what you saw in the mainstream, you would believe that that was the, the prevailing opinion of most Americans at the time. I don't know what kind of polls have been done at that time to substantiate that, but it, that that anti-gay fervor was at an all-time high um, in the late 80s and mm-hmm. into the early yeah. 90s going into this episode. And I recall hearing a lot of that kind of nonsense when I was growing up. Definitely. Well, and uh, that's um, one of the big reasons they couldn't do uh, an AIDS episode. Mm. That's something they wanted to do for a long time. Yeah. I think it only ever gets a mention in uh, Private Dancer as part of the plot. And even then... It has to do with a straight character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah it's, they couldn't broach the topic uh, or at least find something that, that everyone was happy with because AIDS is hugely tied with gay culture and especially around that time. Uh, just just one thing on the topic of the ratings. Um, Running for Honor was the second highest rated episode of the series, of, of, se- of season four. Um, it got 11.9 million viewers, um, which just just edged it ahead of the third and fourth place. The highest rated episode of the season was The Leap Back, which had 14.1. But season opener, so it, it dropped drastically after The Leap Back. I mean, that, that happens every season. First episode, massive ratings. And then, yeah, Playball got 10.7 million and it kind of hovered around there for the rest of the season. So, yeah, Running for Honor, if you count out The Leap Back, Running for Honor was a great success in terms of ratings. So massively good deal for the people that did retain the sponsorships in the cut price. True. But I wonder if they count it as the highest rated on IMDb because uh, quite a few stations refused to air the episode. So when you talk about the ratings that it got, as opposed to how many screens it was actually on, how many homes it actually got into. Right. Okay. And maybe, maybe they're, maybe they're weighing it for that. Or, or, you know, the unthinkable could be, there could be an actual error on IMDb that that never (laughs) happens. So. I don't know, but controversy can, can get attention though. So it's very possible that that's why it, it was so highly rated. And, and maybe, um, Maybe this did help change some perspectives. Uh, you know, it was it was bold of them to have a, a character take such a 
stance that Al did uh, and and turn him around on that because I, I feel like there were a lot of people that that felt the way that Al did. I was wrong. I was wrong. All right. I was. You were right. I was wrong. I only have one other very random thing to talk about, which we we haven't been able to touch on so far at all. Which is the only other thing that bothers me about this episode is what happens to the Leapy after he arrives back. There's there's like there's two points in the series that this really bothers me. <laughs> so shock, we, we've already talked. He just falls over again. Yeah, exactly. We, Oops. We've talked about shock theater and the fact that 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 poor nurse gets presumably done for trying to kill Sam Biederman, uh, and then this. Th- th- these are the two moments in the series where I think. Oh, I want to know what happened next. Because, yeah, he must have just fallen flat on his face. <laughs> right. Yeah, he thought he was still at practice. And he's like, what the? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst moment. He's just out of the block. Five seconds earlier, it, he might have been. But no, <laughs> God, fate or time really didn't want him to, to win that. This ties into something else that kind of like bugged me about this episode. There's two instances of Sam complaining about things he really doesn't need to complain about. <laughs> like... You know, sometimes he leaps in and it's like, it's not that complicated. And he's like, oh my God, I'm in a naval college. Oh my God, I'm in track. What do I do? It's like, it's like nothing's happened yet. What are you talking about? He's like, I still don't know why I'm here. Oh, what do I do? A few weeks ago, you were wearing a KKK hood when you leapt in. You know, this, this, is, this is nothing. <laughs> It reminds me of like, okay, so I've read a lot of Quantum Leap fan fiction and they would like follow this format and sometimes it was completely unnecessary to the point of like comical proportions. Like there'd be ones where he's like, oh my God, I'm a grocer. Ah, (laughs) You can handle be what, what are you complaining? Nothing's happened yet. Let him have some moments where he's like, all right, this is fine. I'll wait and see. I'll worry about it when I got to worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) Because like he spends like a good portion of the beginning of this episode. He doesn't know anything's up. He didn't know this has to do with gay people. He just thinks he's a guy who, like, he just got, like, um, you know, some special award or valedictorian or something at this uh, at this naval college. Like, he's doing pretty good. Yeah, but may- maybe he's comparing it to the-, the last time he leapt in and he was in a nice, cushy bed with a woman and everything was cool. And then it all kind of went a bit off the rails. Now he's presented with a small problem. Who knows how much worse it could get? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. That's the only logic I can give, just by comparing it to the place of thing. <laughs> how how is it that my I've now just had like this entire fanfic fantasy of Sam leaping into a grocery saying, yeah. "Oh my god, what do I do?" And Al comes in right away. Sam, Sam, stop, stop! This guy got fired because he put the eggs and bread on the bottom of the bag. Don't <laughs> oh do my it, god, Sam. No, <laughs> no, that was. I think that was like a real one, the grocer one, where I'm like, why is he complaining? And like he's like waiting for Al to show up like oh hopefully he was a grocer once you know and it's like what <laughs> you don't need Al to hold your hand for everything I just don't understand <laughs> I bet Al was a grocer <laughs> I think in the fanfic he was not <laughs> so when he ran away from home so. but yeah I'm like it, it, it was it was one of those things that bugged me because it's like I do love when Sam just complains because he's sometimes just sometimes he's just being a bitch you know <laughs> <laughs> He just wants to bitch about something. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, like, sometimes they should let Sam just, you know, be okay for a while till there's a problem, and then he can worry about it. 
I feel like they were doing that at the beginning of this of uh, this season with play ball, and I had mentioned it in those episodes where he just seems to be a little bit more comfortable. He's taking stuff with a lot more equanimity, and it seems like they're they're sort of losing that again as the season goes on, and that's that's kind of a shame because it's stepping back some some small character evolution that I was noticing, but. You know, I you have a formula, and you also got to realize that you know this is like this is this could be the Sherlock of this season. This guy Robert Duncan McNeil, <laughs> he never wrote a Quantum Leap episode before this or after this, so he's just going with the conventions of what makes a Quantum Leap episode. You know, mm. quote end quote. So Sam leaping in and being out of his depth is a hallmark of the series. So no matter where he is, he's got to be out of his depth because because Quantum Leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that maybe Tommy writing this or Chris writing this or Don writing this would have handled it a little bit differently. Yeah, I wonder how many people had a pass at this that w- that wasn't the screenwriter. I feel like there were there were many people that looked over this and, and probably ghost wrote some stuff. More than likely, yeah. Yeah, but and, and Tommy might have been one of them. I feel like he did that a lot, but uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I do. I do kind of feel like some of this feels like it's maybe because this was a, a first-time screenwriter for the show, and it was I think this was the first thing he ever wrote it, on IMDb. It just credits him for this. This is the only thing he ever wrote. Mm. Oh, okay, so but he was the graduate. Oh, the trivia says he was a graduate of UCLA's screenwriting program. So, just saying. All right. Well, you know, I mean, it would also be plausible that. When you talk about the other guys, maybe the staff writers punching up the script, making uh, a pass at an edit or whatever, their own version, they are not focusing on Sam's musings as he's finding his place in, in this naval college. They're focusing on how do we say the gay stuff in a way that makes it palatable and saleable to the network. And I think that that's the tightrope they were worried about walking I wonder if there was a conversation about, like, how often can we say the word queer? How often can we throw out the F slur? They say that once. They say it once, um, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that was the limit, because mm. that would be, I, I think, like, the uh, the censor people would probably take issue with how often that you'd say that. And they probably have that conversation whenever there's an episode, say, about black people and they're throwing out slurs or other things like that. They they call them fruits a lot in this episode. They say fruit or fairy. Yeah, I mean, well, they're all you know part and parcel of the same prejudice. So you can you yeah. can say some some I guess more readily than others. They seem to settle on queer quite a bit on this. I was surprised that they didn't use the f slur more than they did. Um, they only used it once. I expected to hear it at least a couple of times. Maybe it came off less harsh then though, because like in the eighties. Like, throwing that around, it was just, it was super common. You see it in, like, a ton of things that you wouldn't expect it to be. Like, I was watching old SNL and then just throwing that out there. And, like, I think they have that, there's, like, a joke in Bill and Ted where they, like, call each other that. It was just yeah very, very common. Uh, well, I can tell you as, you know, a guy growing up on the schoolyard in, in the 80s, you called each other that all the time. It yeah. was just, a, it was the standard put down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't malicious or anything. It was just vernacular. And I guess, you know, when you look back, you say how how hateful and ignorant, but at the same time, it was it was just what you said. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, when I was growing up, we weren't throwing that out. Well, I wasn't anyway. But like, um, you know, 
you would call people gay as an insult and stuff like that. So I feel like that's just an evolution of that. But I feel like that word um, comes off more harsh now, the F slur, than gay, because, you know, gay you can still use in common, uh, a descriptive term, whereas, you know, you wouldn't call someone the F slur unless you were hmm. insulting them and, and being hateful, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it just shows you the evolution of um, language and also the way in which we perceive right and wrong as we grow as a society. I mean, that was a word that was just flung around willy-nilly when I was growing up. And now I've, I, this is, I'm just going to give a a small story. Um, One of my nephews said it to his brother and the brother gasped and said, that's a bad word. You're not supposed to say that word. And we said it all the time without even thinking about it. I mean, and it was an anomaly because I'd never heard my nephew say that before and I haven't heard him say it since. So the reception of that term has really shifted, I guess, uh, just based on that one anecdotal story. I only have one more thing in my notes, uh, if we're going to start wrapping this up. So they, they, you talked about it a little bit, Chris, um, and they, they bring it up briefly in this episode. Uh, they talk about the Stonewall Bar. Yes, they do. Uh, Al says in the wrap-up that uh, Philip went to work there and helps them um, get it started. I guess he helps them... Uh, I don't know. Was he saying he helped them get start with the uh, the gay liberation, the the stuff that was going on with that? Not the bar itself, right? No, no. I'm thinking about it because the Stonewall became like the epicenter of gay culture and the gay rights movement yeah. in New York City. So I'm yeah. thinking with if you, especially if you think about Philip, literally underground in his print shop, printing out a paper, uh, threatening to out other gay people. He was one that felt very strongly about being vocally gay and and making a stand that it's okay and this is who I am. So I took that to mean that he was central in the movement, not yeah. in just, you know, the the bar. <laughs> mm. That sort of, um, it, it, maybe they said that, or, or maybe it ties into both of these things because it is such an iconic part of gay rights, but uh, this also ties into the comic sequel to Goodnight Dearheart. Mm-hmm. Um, because that uh, there's there's a part of that that also has to do with the Stonewall riots. So I find that kind of interesting. Both of those things intersect. Hmm. So maybe those characters knew each other. It'd be interesting if Philip makes a cameo. Yeah, he he doesn't. I think it was called Against a Stonewall, right? Yeah. That uh, that comic also uh, features a trans character, which is the the only representation of a trans person in Quantum Leap. Huh. The line in the episode is he goes to work at a place called the Stonewall Bar. It was the birthplace of the gay liberation movement, and he helped to get it started. So I think it's pretty explicit. It's it's the movement that he's getting started. He does work at the bar, but... I see. Yeah. So and I think that it's entirely appropriate for them to mention that because it is such a touchstone in gay rights. Mm. And I'm sure anybody in the gay community or the LGBTQ community that we're, that we're watching at that time, it's just a shorthand for them. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm glad that they were able to to maybe explore that aspect of it a little bit more, even though I don't know, you know, the comic books are non-canonical, but at least there is a quantum leap story where you can sort of see more of this kind of representation. Yeah. I I wish that they had had an episode set at Stonewall. I feel like that would have been 
a really, really bold decision mm. to make. And I understand why at the time it would be very difficult to do something like that. Well, here's the thing. I think if Quantum Leap was on today, they definitely could and yes. would set one yeah. there. Oh, for sure. And show that. Yeah, because it's such it's such a landmark, such a historical turning point. Mm. So, I mean, they'd be remiss not to. It'd be just mm -hmm. as natural as showing the Watts riots or um, – the riots after the Rodney King beating in LA. I'm sure they would have touched on that at some point too, given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So anywhere there's injustice, Quantum Leap is there. So <laughs> had it gone long enough, I'm sure we would have seen a whole bunch of stuff that they maybe were too squeamish to do in the 90s. We could have seen him leap into a grocer. <laughs> yeah. We missed out. Not season six. That would have been a, a two-parter, I think. <laughs> They were like, you know, there's some things that we always want to do on Quantum Leap. We never got to. We want to do a baby. We wanted to do a cartoon. A dog. And we wanted to make sure. Yeah, yeah, a grocer. And a grocer. Really, grocer is the white whale that they oh, they were always seeking but never got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Whoever wrote that fanfic, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. I Yeah, I love fanfiction. I love Quantum Leap fanfiction. Please write more. So, I mean, I, I think that pretty much all i have to say about about the episode do you guys want to give some final thoughts mm -hmm. so i guess we'll we'll lead with the standard question is this good quantum leap yeah i think it's good quantum leap um for all the problems i have with it because uh, i do think it is a little bit flawed um i do think it was necessary and uh i think that it did resonate with uh gay people that felt they needed more representation i i see why um the Gay and Lesbian Alliance uh, had a problem with it then, but I also see why some people uh, find this episode in important to them. And um, yeah, I just think that it's uh, it's good stuff. How about you, Matt? Yeah, one hundred percent. It's uh, it's got a good, important message. It's got action. It's got heart. It has a little bit of comedy. So yeah, it, it ticks all the boxes for, for good Quantum Leap. And I'm going to echo what both of you have said. I think this is definitely good Quantum Leap. I think it's right in the Quantum Leap social justice wheelhouse. And I think the series was brave for bringing up this topic when a lot of shows were shying away from it. Uh, I know it seems odd in this day and age where we see a lot of gay representation on TV. And not that that's not still problematic in a lot of ways. But I think that this helped break a lot of ground. And um, I do have some issues with the episode. Like I said, I think they could have taken a firmer stand on whether or not the Leapy was gay or not, but in the end, it doesn't make a difference because the episode made you think. It helped challenge preconceptions and prejudices, and I think that if anything else, it's a good starting point for a discussion. And I think it gave us a good discussion. And um, I'm just going to put an appeal out there. I mean, uh, I, I'm speaking for myself. I'm just like a straight dude, Matt, straight dude. Yeah, Allison, I think she's a straight girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, um, I think that we're missing a very significant point of view. Mm -hmm. On, on this. So um, for our gay listeners or anybody in the LGBTQ community out there who are listening, if we, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode and how you think it represented um, the issue. So you can always call us at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can uh, comment on Twitter or Instagram at quantum pod and um we'd really love to hear your point of view on this so while we wait matt can you tell us what's coming up next 
Well, Chris, would you like to know what love is? (laughs) (laughs) I want you to show me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to find out when we watch Temptation Eyes. Balance on that? Yeah, come on, over here. Right here, come on. Over here. Yeah, with those people in the background. Okay, we'll put them in. Yeah, against the wall. Take the mic here, huh? The mic. And now we'll be switching live to Dylan Powell, who's at the scene of another brutal strangulation murder in Chinatown. You're on in five, four, three, two. Oh boy. Heck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm pumped. You know how I said that uh, <laughs> Running Foreigner always stood out as the gay episode for me? Temptation Eyes always stands out as the Foreigner episode for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, another one that I don't know if I've seen since it aired the first <gasps> time. So, I- Oh my god, you'll love it, Chris. This seems like such a Chris episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, now I look forward to rewatching and seeing whether or not it is a Chris episode. I, I have a feeling I know why you guys think that, and I might have some very interesting ways to dispute that for you. So, uh, <gasps> ooh. ooh, so, um, so uh, I look forward to uh, to to see where we land on that. And until we do, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I have been Christopher T. Philippus. I have been Allison Pregler, and I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Drinking tea. <laughs> At the big gay boat festival. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baronspace production. So, did, did you guys notice that for the first 25 minutes of that, Chris and I's voices had dropped an octave and we were talking very softly and, until Alison mentioned yes. the big gay boat ride? And that's when the tone... There was just this massive tonal shift. <laughs> I, I was very conscious of the fact that, yeah, it was a very serious discussion that we were having. <laughs> so thank God you did that. I believe that should be enough. Yeah, that was room t- tone with a meow in the middle from me, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't hear meow? it. Yeah, she was very did quiet, but she did just Aww. wait for the silence and then go... Oh, <laughs> kitty! <laughs> hey, Scully. I love that your cat's name's Scully. <laughs> it's so good. My pet is the only one without, like, a, a geek counterpart. You have Scully, you have Ash... Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no genre Penelope. Penelope Pit Stop? Yeah, it's a cartoon. Is that really genre? I don't know. Is that a British thing? What? No. No, it's like Wacky Races, right? Wacky Dick, Races? Dick Dastardly. Oh. And Penelope oh, Pit okay. Stop? Yeah. <laughs>
Although she might have been yeah. in something else. And then Wacky Races, was, it was almost like um, Battle of the Network Stars kind of deal for Hannibal Barra cartoons. <laughs> you could also shorten it and be like Penny Dreadful. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to name her Penelope Dreadful and Laura would not have it. You wanted to name her oh, Penelope Dreadful. Awesome. <laughs> I did. Oh my gosh. I love it. But it's arguably what what we stuck with is arguably worse because it's Penelope Putinesca. So and if you know what Putinesca translates into, um, the Italians out there will. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, she was named after food instead of uh pulp horror. I named Scully about two weeks before I met Sharon. It was that close to being vetoed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I had my way with Lily, uh, my first dog. Her her full name was Lily Pushin. So, because she was so tiny <laughs> when we got her. Lily Pushin? What? Lily, my first dog, Lil. Her Lily Pushin de Philippus, because she was such a little, little tiny thing when we first got her. What, what is Pushin? Lily Pushin. Lily Pushin. F- first, you don't get Penelope Pitstock. Now, you don't get Lily Pushin. No, what? Oh. Gulliver's Travels. Oh my god. They were the... Allison, <laughs> I know nothing. This is how I feel. This is how I feel every time you two start talking about anything. Yeah, this doesn't have to do with B-movies. I'm just completely out of my element. <laughs> so, am I the only English major in the room? I, I guess, maybe. Is that in the Jack Black one, the Gulliver's Travels? Or... Yes, it was, yeah. <laughs> so you should know. So. Now, Lilliputians were the little ones. The Brobdignagians were the big ones and the yahoos with the uh, feces slinging monkey people at the end so. see this is a completely different area of nerddom that i'm not, <laughs> not familiar <laughs> it's, with. it's the inglorious result of a lifetime of reading that's all <laughs> and now here they are the most daredevil group of daddy drivers to ever whirl their wheels in the wacky races. Competing for the title of the world's wackiest racer. Cars are approaching the starting line. First is the Turbo Terrific, driven by Peter Perfect. Next, Rufus, Roughcut, and Sawtooth in the buzz wagon. Maneuvering for position is the Army Surplus Special. Right behind is the Ant Hill Mob in their bulletproof bomb. And there's ingenious inventor, Pat Pending in his converter car. Oh, and here's the lovely Penelope Pitstop, the glamour gal of the gas pedal. Next, we have the Bowlermobile with the Slag Brothers, Rock and Gravel. Lurching along is the creepy coop with a gruesome twosome. And right on their tail is the Red Max. And there's the Arkansas Chugabug with Luke and Blubber Bear. Sneaking along last is that mean machine with those double-dealing do-batters, Nick Dastardly and his sidekick, Muttley. And even now, they're up to some dirty trick, and they're off to a standing start. And why not? They've been chained to a post by Shifty Dick Dastardly, who shifts into the wrong gear. And away they go! <laughs> 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 